Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to various creative types. And this week, my guest is Anna David. She is the author of the book Party Girl, which has just been released on audio. She's very excited about that. But before we get to that, I want to get a mention in for You Don't Know My Life, the game I co-created with Jeb Havens. Now, the last time we did this podcast, we were waiting for the shipment to come in. Um, I'm happy to say that it came in on the 18th of December, and we were able to get the games in the mail by Christmas, and almost everyone got them before Christmas. So that was a huge relief, and it was so exciting. And uh, if you purchased the game, we really appreciate it. If you haven't, you can still do it. We, we ordered a lot of extra ones, and uh, you can do that at youdon'tknowmylifegame.com. All right, that's enough plugs. Here, without any further ado, is Anna David. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the beautiful Hollywood apartment of Anna David, writer extraordinaire, also an entrepreneur. you got a lot of stuff going on. Yes, yes, yes. You also take hip-hop class with me, and you're going later, and I'm not. I'm already dressed for it. You're dressed for it. You're wearing a shirt that says Positive Vibes, and your cat is here with us, just perched in between us. Yes. How old is this cat? You told me when I came in, and I couldn't believe it. She's 19. You have a 19-year-old cat. And if they saw her, they would understand how shocking that is. She looks beautiful. She doesn't look a day over four. Yeah, she doesn't look a day over seven. She's 130 in human years. Oh, my gosh. I know. She's a, a, you know, a miracle. How does she do it? What's her secret? Lily, what is your secret? I think it's, I think it's love. I think she's got a very easy life. She's had a good. She's had it really good. Where were you in your life when you got her? Okay, well, um... I was bottoming out on cocaine. Turns out that was a good question. Right. And I truly credit her with like helping me to get sober. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean. So she's been through it all. She's she's, seen you. Well, I had another cat, Toby, that unfortunately kind of was part of the the bad era. Right, right. Um, And I have pictures that are so tragic of like parties in my apartment, not this one. Um, people smoking and like poor little Toby crouched behind. Right. Um, and she was very, very uh, demented. You know, one of those cats that th- where they can go horribly awry. Right. But I also think it was a matter of the life I gave her was not stable. No, she saw a lot of messy things. She didn't, and she didn't. Um, it. I think she had trauma. Yeah. And so she was totally awful, and she hissed and bit and and purses and just did all the stuff yeah. that you make you want to find another home for her but you right. know that no one will take her right and then this thing came along um how'd you get her i was um very sad and very addicted to cocaine and very convinced i couldn't give it up because i thought i needed it to survive and i would wake up in the morning or come to or whatever after like series benders and go well You know, you kind of, I don't know if you've ever had this, but like you kind of realize subconsciously that you have to make a really big life change and you're totally unwilling to do it. And so you you think, maybe no one else has ever done this. I would think, well, I better do something dramatic and possibly permanent and I'm certainly not going to rehab. So why don't I go get a tattoo or why don't I go get a cat? And that's how I ended up with two cats and five tattoos by the time I went to rehab. And so I drove to Culver City where so I ended up. So it was either cat tattoo or rehab and cat and tattoo always won out until finally they didn't. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Um, and then I ended up going to rehab a block from where I got her in Mar Vista, which is super random. Yeah. Um, so you were just a block off the first time. Exactly. But it worked out because you got both ultimately. I got both. I got both. That's amazing. So you wrote a book about your uh, a novel called yeah. Party Girl. Yeah. Uh, this The book came out a while ago, but you just recorded the audio. Yes. And uh, I saw you post about it, and I was like, I want to talk to her, because I see her all the time in hip-hop. Yeah. And uh, was it fun to make it an audio book? Um, it was not fun to actually make it, but to have it made was really fun. For it to exist, it's great. Yeah. I, it was my dream to have an audio book recording of it, because I was sort of an early adopter of Audible. Yeah. And... HarperCollins couldn't have cared less that that was my oh, dream. Yeah. And um, and so nothing happened. And I then, remember with my first book, I was like, I want to do it on audio. And that was really early. Yeah. But my the publisher was like, mm, it's probably not, it's not, not going to be an audio book. And then I went and got an audio deal on my own. And, and they were like, oh, okay. And then I assembled a cast to do it. So I was doing it with other actors, yeah. other performers. And we did it that way. And we got an audio book nomination. I didn't 
didn't know that. Yeah. So Adventures, Misadventures. Misadventures 2 and 3 is an audiobook. It's a it bridge. It must have been one of the first ones. Yeah, it was 98, 98, 99, yeah. You are such a trendsetter. Oh, you know. It was cassette. I just have it on cassette. Oh Although I think it is on Audible. I think it exists well, online. You need to re-release it if yeah. it's not. I think it is. It's very easy to release an really? audiobook. Oh, yeah. We'll talk because my yeah. second book I don't think is on Audible. I think Misadventures is. I can't so. believe you don't know. I don't know. This um, was a long time ago. But the thing is, when I say it's really easy, yeah. the recording's a nightmare, but you've already done the recording. Yeah. Um, I found, so basically, I really wanted this to happen. It never happened. And I had major high hopes for Party Girl, because even though I followed it with seven books, I think they all are bad in comparison. And I, it was like my baby. Party Girl's my lily. You yeah. Know? And, and it always broke my heart that it just didn't happen the way that I wanted it to. And movie rights were acquired, and then one day you get an email from CAA that says, congratulations, your movie rights have reverted back to you. Because they had got far along. They had a script. Right. They had the whole thing. And um, and then that was years ago, and it always kind of broke my heart. And so this year, I emailed my agent, and I said, hey, could you get the audio rights back? And she said yes. And so... Um, Actually, terribly expensive if you want to do it right. Anyway, this is a very long answer. That's but okay. I ended up I ended up recording it. It was eight hours. Yeah, it takes a long time. Three days. Yeah. Um, lots of gargling of like yeah, salt water or whatever to make my voice still work. And then I released it a, I don't know, um, you know, a month ago or something. And I'm really wanting people to buy it. It's yeah. so fun. I love it. What? So the the actual recording of it was was a chore. I would, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But it was so exciting to get it done and have a cover designed yeah. and then upload it. And at the, the same week that happened, some it, the announcement came out that Martin Scorsese's producer had acquired the film rights. So it all felt like, oh, this resurgence. You're having a moment. Yeah. Party Girl's having a moment. That's so fantastic. Now, when I heard the title, I thought of the Parker Posey movie. I know. Was that ever a consideration? Like, are people going to get it confused? Or I think they do, and I think that's only a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, there, you know, you can't copyright a title. Right. And so when my agent was going out with the book... We had a conversation, not about that movie. She's like, nobody cares. The movie's fine. Um, but there was another book called Party Girl that was out. And so she said, let's change the title. She, Her boyfriend was this guy named Andrew Ross Sorkin, who's now oh, become yeah, yeah, yeah. a super big deal. Right. No, no, I know him. Oh, do yeah. you know him personally? Not Nicest super well, but ever. I know him. He's, he's helped me a little bit. Yeah, we had lunch one time. Yeah. He's so nice. And right. so that was just her new boyfriend. And right. the new boyfriend said... Well, why doesn't she call it After Party? So we sold it under the title After Party. Nothing really happened with that first book called Party Girls, so we were able to release it as Party Girl. The great terrible irony is that the biggest book of this year is this book called Girl, Wash Your Face. I don't know if yeah. you've heard of it. I've heard the title, but I don't know anything about it. She's the one. Rachel Hollis is the one who wrote that first book, Party Girl. It had oh. self-published it, and now it's a big sensation. Wow. So so people are rediscovering that other one, too. Yeah, probably. maybe accidentally we'll rediscover yeah, mine. There you go. Yeah. Um, I'm about halfway through it. Or maybe a oh, third. Oh, that's you so sent nice me the, the PDF. Oh, that's right. That's right. I, I love your voice. I love your literary voice. It's funny and it has... It's charming and... I, I Yeah. So uh, how would you describe the plot to somebody that uh, you just met? I would say it is about a wild and crazy girl who gets a job documenting her wild and crazy life right when she gets sober... So she has to create a persona based on who she used to be. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't unlike my life. When I got sober, I got hired at Premiere to do this column called Party Girl. Right. So I was, life gave me the beginnings of the plot. Right. But I'm also kind of obsessed with um, how, in general, how we, all my books are in a way about this, how we seem versus who we are. Yeah. And in the Instagram era, that's an even more fascinating Oh, my gosh. Thing. You have to create two lives. Two, yeah. There's two different tracks going at the same time. I know. Um, yeah. When did you write the book in relation to getting sober? It was, I was four years sober. Okay, so you'd been out of it for a while. I'd been out of it for a while. Yeah. What was weird is, you know, I don't know about you, but I can't read my writing after it's published. Right. Can you? Uh, I can. Okay, well... I don't. I don't a lot, but it doesn't weird me out or anything. It's just very... It's like I don't, you know, watch myself on TV or anything, really. Yeah. Um, and one time I speak at colleges, and so I cannot fall asleep without reading. 
And so one time I was in a hotel in some weird town and the only material I had was Party Girl because was I was book. selling it. Yeah. And so I had to read it and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Um, and then when I reread the, when I read the audio, I was like, this book is funny. No wonder it's the one book of yours you love. Yeah. Are the other books of yours all novels? Are they no, different I did another novel and then I did a memoir and then two non two books of essays and then I wrote uh, Tom Sizemore's book. Yeah, how was that to work with Tom Sizemore? Uh, like a nightmare in every way you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Well, but just come right out. I mean, don't mince words. Just uh, say what you really think. Yeah, wow. So it was everything you would think. Well, he seems complicated. That's a word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't even I don't even know. I had phones thrown at me. You know what wow. I mean? Yeah. yeah how long horrible. did you spend with him? A year. It was awful. The worst part of it being that he had this psychotic manager who would sort of blame me for everything. Right. And, and the, and, you know, Simon and Schuster, I gotta say, very much took his, they, he was the investment, not me. I was disposable. So the fact that he was like sexually harassing me, what they were so indifferent to the fact that it was physical stuff, they really didn't care. Wow. I mean, today it would be a different Different story. story. But the worst part was that he couldn't, he said he wouldn't read the book because um, it was too painful and he's a pathological liar. Right. So, so we needed fact checking. And so we got his brother, who was this guy who like has, you know, never moved out of his parents' house, kind of not doing so well in life, who has always wanted to be a writer. So he rewrote the book when fact checking and then tried to get me fired off of it. And so then I had to rewrite this sort of illiterate book, but at least it had the right facts. I mean, it was a nightmare. Oh my to gosh. the point that I'm a big believer that p- body pain is trauma. Oh, for sure. And I couldn't walk for like six months afterwards. I got sciatica so badly. So yeah, it was pretty oh awful. My God. I know. But is he so interesting that they would want a book? A Simon and Schuster would want a book about it. Um, not not really, but but it was a different time. It was easier to sell books. And yeah, I mean, the agent was like, "I know I can sell this. Yeah, and I think it will be a New York Times bestseller." This was. You know, five years ago, he yeah. was slightly more cared about than he yeah. is now. Yeah. Um, but you survived it. I did, barely. What a nightmare. It really was. I mean, Would you, know, you go over there and work with him a lot or like... Yeah. 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 And I would show up and, you know, I, I kind of knew he wasn't sober, but there was nothing I could do about it. Right. And sometimes he would insist I interview him in his um, bed. Wow. Can I swear on this? Yeah. If I asked a question he didn't like, he would say, fuck you, you dumb cunt. You're stupider than I thought. Wow. I mean, it's unbelievable. I've never, I, I didn't know what to do. Um, and I would quit and they would demand the money back and I didn't have the money. Yeah. So anyway, you can see why I'm very grateful I now work for myself. Yeah. What a, oh my God, I have anxiety just thinking about yeah. it. And it's not an article. It's not a one done. You have to... It's ongoing yeah. until that book is done. Did the book get done and come out and everything? Yeah. Yeah. I called it by, he never read it, but I called it by some miracle I made it out of there alive, which was a line of his from Black Hawk Down, but also yeah. describes my experience. Right. It? So it had double meanings and that yeah. was the name of the book. Yeah. And he never read it. As far as I know, I've never yeah. spoken to him. That was it. Done. Would you ever want to do another celebrity like that? I would never. I mean, that's what I was telling you before yeah. we started recording. I did meet with Cameron Diaz about doing her book, and I would have loved to do that because she seems so lovely, but she didn't pick me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, over the years, I've been offered, because that was a New York Times bestseller, I've been right. offered men, many, I would say, and I have yeah. always um, said no. I've done proposals. I've been paid to do proposals, but right. not books. Not books. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah. It's too much. Um, so what was it like writing about your partying days after the fact? Because at the beginning, you're still, the character's still I know. Uh, wild and cokey. Cokey and chain smoky. That's yeah. what surprised me when I was yeah. audio, doing yeah. audio. Um, I, my first, like, I would say five years of my sobriety, I was obsessed. It's like I, I transferred my addiction to becoming obsessed with drug literature and movies and all of that stuff. Right, because there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. I don't didn't find it triggering at all. Right. Um, so I just thought it was fun. The reason I made it a novel and not a memoir is that 
I always feel like uh, drug memoirs get really boring when the person gets sober. And I didn't want to do that because ultimately recovery is a lot more entertaining than d drug addiction is sitting on a couch, you know, for me, you know, for eight hours doing cocaine. There's nothing interesting. Right. Um, but but I couldn't do that. I felt without kind of poking fun at, at my own narcissism. And the only way to seemingly do that was to have it be a fictional character who has no idea she is the problem. Right. Thinks it's everybody else. Right. And that's where this sort of humor in the book comes. Comes from. Yeah. Was that true of you? Thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. What was your moment of rock bottom when you finally said, okay, I can go to rehab instead of getting a tattoo or a cat? Um... Well, it's interesting because this is something that like I edited out of my story for a long time because I had so much shame around it, but I ended up getting pregnant and I got pregnant because I cared so little about what happened. Like safe sex had not occurred to me in year. Yeah. I mean, I, I hoped to die. I would hope that a coke night would kill me because it would get me out of how I was living. And so there was this one guy who um, nobody would do coke with me anymore because it was too depressing because I would just sit and be depressing. Right, because when you think of cocaine, you think of parties and dancing and, and you know staying up all night and running around and you don't think of vegetative couch days. You do when you're sober because yeah. that's how everybody gets towards that's the That's how end. you end up. Yeah. Wow. So it's a terrible irony that this yeah. drug that made you so active and so social turns on you. Wow. And every everyone I know sober which is a lot of people really did it alone towards the end wow um so yeah and that's when you're miserable but you're just addicted and so and so i had this moment where i went to get the abortion and i put my arms out because they take blood and i looked down at my arms and i thought um thank god i don't have track marks it was a crazy thing to think for someone who's never shot drugs before right and I felt like I got this like sliding door sort of vision of my life as it could be. And right. I was like in rehab the following week. Wow. Where did you go? I went to Promises. Now, this yeah. was 1999. Right. And so, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It was 2000. And um, back then there was no, there were no recovery podcasts and blogs and right. all of that stuff. So all I ever knew was that Charlie Sheen went to Promises. So I made a bunch of calls and promises seemed terribly not expensive for something so fancy and I did outpatient and so I was there like two weeks before sort of saying to someone casually well it's so nice the way they sort of hide the movie stars and you know we've got this broken down basketball net and it doesn't seem fancy and someone's like that's the fancy promises we're at the full-on low-rent promises there's two oh my gosh so you went to the low-rent promises I went to the low-rent promises which completely saved my life in every way Right. Where where is it located? Is it in Malibu? Mar Vista. Mar Vista. Down the street from where it's right. gone now. Somebody just told me that they promises shut that one down. But was it connected to the other promises? Yeah. Oh, okay. It, it was like a chain of yeah. sorts. Yeah. Yeah. I went. I did a story for Movie Line on the Hollywood one, so I got to go there and with the around. Malibu one. The mean. Malibu one. Yeah. 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 It was wild. Yeah, you know? I never went to that one. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, the rooms were very utilitarian but the but being up there in the mountain and i think there was was there a pool it just felt I'm like sure i think yeah. it burned in this recent fire oh really wow yeah a lot of the malibu rehabs did that's interesting um when you went to write about your partying days do you remember things or are there a lot of things you just don't remember oh the unfortunate thing about cocaine is you remember everything you do yeah yeah i was not a blackout drinker because i yeah. was doing coke so you remember uh-huh in a way, it's good as a writer because you can remember. What's weird is I remember, I also have this like elephant-like memory. I, yeah. I really remember everything. And by the way, I think Ben's class helps a lot with that. With memory? Because yes. of choreography. Yes. yes. I've, I've noticed that. I've noticed a massive change in my memory between when I, before I went to, hit, to that class and now. And what you remember. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. It's scientifically proven, you know, yeah. having to, you know, the way, you know. You use your mind yeah. to, to pick up choreography. Yeah. And all of that stuff. Um, so, so I do remember I'm terrible even today at like years and stuff like that. So I really don't know how many, how many years or yeah. days or months I was alone doing cocaine. I just know I moved to LA in 1996 and I got sober in May of 2000. And all it right. didn't get bad right away. 
Yeah. So I, I assume it was two or three years, but but I remember specifics very well. Right. There's one line in your book where you talk about um, the relief of having your own dealer, so you don't have to schmooze people to try to find yeah. people that'll give you coke. Yeah. Do you remember that when you got your own dealer? But doesn't oh, that feel yeah. like isn't that a a plus and a minus? Because on the one hand, you can't really rationalize. Oh, I'm just it just happened to be there. I'm doing cocaine because they had it. Where now you're like, oh no, I'm responsible. Yeah, but the denial of a drug addict is amazing. It's, it's really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there was a long time between when I got my own dealer and dealers, actually, and when I admitted to myself that I had a problem. I had this great moment where my third dealer, uh, Joey, I remember being over it as he lived in the super depressing apartment on Doheny. And it, when you went over there, it would be all these kind of cute girls doing coke with him because he would let you do it there. Yeah, like a sample. A sample, yeah, like yeah, a wine yeah. tasting, but it was right. the worst coke ever. <laughs> and um, and I remember this one time, I'm in the living, I'm at his dining room table. He's there, and this other girl's there, and then another girl walks in. The first girl goes to the kitchen, and the girl who sits down at the table goes, oh my God, that girl in the kitchen, she was in rehab. And I'm like, rehab? What a drug addict. You know, we're just two girls sitting here in the middle of a Tuesday at 2 o'clock in a creepy man's apartment. Nothing weird here. She's a drug addict, you know. So the denial was amazing that I would, like, I was a a step from rehab. I should have been in rehab, but that seemed But you were like, oh, that's she's got a problem. Yeah. We don't have a problem. Mm -hmm. Did you have any physical um, repercussions from it, like with your nose or anything like that? With no, cocaine? No, I didn't. I yeah. mean, I had a constant stuffed nose. And right. I remember when I stopped, you know, it just kind of runs and runs and runs for yeah. weeks. But no. But, but nothing lasting? No. Good. No. Was alcohol in the mix for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I but I was like sort of a lame drinker. I loved Amstel Light and um, yeah. shots of Jägermeister. So I was never like a martini or, you know, if I had a drinks, it was cocktails. It was like sex on the beach. and Yeah. Fun thing, fuzzy navels. Yeah, exactly. Fun things. Lemon drops at Jones. Yeah, yeah, sweet things. I love it. Jo- was Jones like your hangout? It really was. Yeah. Yeah, I love Jones. Oh, it's cute. I know. Can you go there now? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's all yeah. good. Jones is a cute place on what is it? Beverly Third, Santa yeah, Monica. It's on Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah, Santa Monica Boulevard. So your first taste of Los Angeles really was drug fueled, pretty much. Well, I first got here, I actually lived with a boyfriend. I moved here for a guy. And, like, our lives were normal when we were together. But, I mean, we drank very heavily. None Mm. of it, that seemed normal. We didn't do coke. And then, and I worked at People Magazine. Right. And then, and then that all kind of, both of those things fell apart. So, it was, I think I was here a year before it got that bad. I was looking at your acknowledgments. We had some editors in common. Jen Fermanac. God, I sort of remember that. I, th- I just bragged about my... Right. I think she was my editor at Cosmo. Cosmopolitan, yeah. yeah. That's where I wrote with her. I, yeah, I just she? saw... She started a, a company that books celebrities for shows, and I think it's really kind of grown. Yes, because now I'm remembering. She yeah. did that a long time ago. She moved out here. Ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She moved out here. Yeah. I just saw her husband recently at an event. Um, yeah, but I haven't seen her in, in a long time. But yeah. She was we had, cool. Yeah, she was super cool. How did you... How did the demise of magazines affect you? Because it was my... It was, it's still something that I kind of, like, sometimes I get frustrated, like, why am I here? And it's like, oh, my field went away. Yeah. I, I still kind of have, um, just like, when I look at certain things about my life, I'm like, oh, that, that, I did do that for a long, that was, that was my bread and butter. I know. Yeah. Anyway, how, how was your experience with it's it? It's very, very similar. Um, uh, you know, it's funny because I remember I had a sex column for this magazine called, um, God, I can't remember what it's called. It was it was just like details. De- not detour. I can't remember. I can't Razor. It was called Razor. Okay. And I remember talking to a friend who had been um in the journalism game longer than I had. And he said something like, That's a really lucky thing that you have that. And and it was kind of the first time I realized, like, oh, this is ephemeral. Like I just thought I was so fabulous. And so that's why I had all these writing assignments. Like, and then I, the magazine went under, I I don't know. I I guess I had this feeling that it was always going to be like that. Right. And, and it was a shock. I, I think I adjust pretty fast and I got the hell out and started my, my own stuff. I just started, started to start websites and then, and then this business. Right. 
um, as opposed to people I see who are kind of just still trying to make this thing that doesn't work. Trying work. to piece it together again. And yeah. like I, <laughs> the last magazine story I did was like a year and a half ago. I did an interview with Adam Lambert and a profile, which I love, yeah. right? I love that stuff. And I, 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 I got paid a hundred dollars and I had to ask for money. Like they weren't <laughs> going to pay me originally anything. Yeah. You know, and I, and, but it felt like I accomplished something. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. I only will write for free on media. Yeah. That's all I'm, cause I'm not willing to like deal with somebody else for yeah. almost free. Yeah. Um, so you talked, you mentioned briefly, you started this new business. So yeah. yeah. Um, Tell me about it. Well, basically, um, I, I started to study online marketing and I started yeah. to realize that I could be my own business and that right. it was, I was my own media, media entity as is, as are you. Right. And we can do whatever we want provided we have an audience. So so I built a coaching program for writers called All the Right Moves, and I take 10 writers at a time through the process of writing a book proposal. Right. And, um, and then the winner, one person in every group, gets a meeting with my agent and a publisher, and three of the books have been acquired, which is great. That's awesome. Um, and, then, and then from there, I built a whole school called well I, I built a company called light hustler which is we share our dark to find our light and so i have a storytelling show in hollywood it's on stage it's on stage yes nice. and it's comedians and writers telling stories about you oh know, i want to come your, to it what's it I called it's called light hustler okay unfortunately the place that it's been is closing and so we just found a new space in okay. hollywood it's so good and then the podcast I either release an interview that I do over Facebook Live right. or one of those stories. Nice. So I have the kind of rotating group of comedians that sure. are that are, and writers that are amazing. Um, and so and so then I built Light Hustler Academy, which I'm really just launching now, and it's everything. It's social media for writers, newsletters for writers, websites for writers, promotion for writers, public speaking for writers, and it just teaches writers how to do all of those things. That's fantastic. So it's lighthustler.com? Uh, yes, yes. And then lighthustleracademy.com. I've got, you know, I'm one of those with 46 websites. Right. Do you have like a million websites? I Well, I have more than I, when you start adding up the renewal fees and stuff like that, you're like, oh. And redirects? Do you yeah. redirect? I don't have any redirects, but I might have one soon. Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend it. You know you've made it when you have a redirect. A redirect means you have a website with that more more than one URL gets you there, right? Yeah, but What's like, a redirect? like, okay, so like for my, for, oh, and this is relevant. So, so I could tell people go buy Party Girl on on Audible, um, like go to go search it, or I can buy the domain partygirlaudio.com for eight dollars and have that redirect, and it's right. a lot easier to right. say when you're on Dennis's podcast. You can go say Party Girl Audio, Party Girl Audio. You don't yeah. have to say this, and, they, and that goes right to uh, audible.com. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, very smart. You know, now, you have be. you been on staff at magazines in the yeah. office? Yeah, well, people, but I was a full-time freelancer, yeah. the great oxymoron. Ugh. So would you go into the office? Yeah, or I had you, an yeah. office. Wow. Um, what was it like to work at a magazine? Because I worked for a ton of them, but I never worked on staff. I never went into an office. I liked it. I didn't know at that point anything else. I assumed I would be a person who went to an office my yeah. whole career. Um. So I did that at People, and then I did that at Premiere, yeah. too. God bless Premiere. I know. God rest its soul. God rest its soul. I know. That one's have been I fun. went to The Wake. There you was did? Premiere Wake. What was it like? Sad. Yeah. I had left years before The Wake. Yeah. But anyone there who was actually there. a wake. Yeah. So yeah, all yeah. the writers and editors yeah. that we knew would be there. Yeah. And they just had drinks and hung out. Yeah, and... it was sort of uneventful and sad. Yeah. I just remember Ann Thompson being there. Did you ever deal with her? No, but she's a film critic. Yeah. Yeah. She was my boss at Premiere. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Was she cool? She was all right. Yeah. I don't think I've been terribly lucky with bosses. Right. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I love the diplomatic way you put that. I no, just I know. don't. I mean, but, but, but <clears throat> you know, it's interesting because right now, I, you know, among the weird other things I do, I help a friend with his site Genius Recovery. Yeah. And so he's my boss on, you know, this project and his team. And they're amazing. And every day I'm just so grateful because I had so many years of not not satisfying to work for people. I think that there is something about show business and maybe media and entertainment 
people get away with being dicks in a way that they don't in other businesses. Am I right? You're right. Or they're drawn to it. I just feel like it's more of a problem in these jobs where it's somebody's dream. Totally. I mean, somebody recently said to me, you, you deserve what you accept. Yeah. So I was willing to accept the kind of mistreatment that I would never accept in a personal relationship or a romantic relationship. Right. But I thought I had to. Because it was all I knew. Right. And and now... And also it's your dream. You want to be a writer, don't, don't I you? I thought that's what you yeah. had to do. Right. And now it's different. I'm sure the stuff that people got away with, they couldn't. Right. Um, so, so, yeah. It's... Um, I, you know, I believe everything has to happen so you can learn whatever life lessons you're here to learn. So right. apparently, you know, that was part of my journey. That was part of your journey. Now, for a while you were working in a recovery magazine or website. Yeah, that yeah. boss was the worst of them all. Really? Interesting. Yeah. So it didn't last too long. Oh, it did, unfortunately. It lasted too long. Yeah, it was, th- I was an editor for three years at this website where the, well, he was the editor in yeah. quotes, but he never came work so he would just get in there wasted and had access to our back end so he would rewrite people's like he would try to quote edit but he would just drunkenly like change everything so he'd have to wake up early to fix it before the writer saw it oh my god yeah but this was a a magazine or a blog about about recovery it's a terrible irony and he was wasted he couldn't Get sober, yeah. But oh he was the boss. Oh, that's Eventually, so... he was fired and he right. sued and all that stuff. It, it got ugly. It got ugly. Do you like writing about that world? I do. I mean, the reason I've done so much of it is um, I, I wouldn't say I've had the most interesting life. And yeah. it's the most interesting thing. Not addiction is not interesting, but recovery and how different it is than, than um, you think it's going to be. In what ways? Oh, I thought as any active drug addict or alcoholic thinks, it's the end of life. Like, I'll never have fun again. It may be better than dying, but maybe not. Right. And then you get sober and you realize, first of all, it's not about drugs and alcohol. It's not at all. Like, once you clear that away, you go, oh, this is about I can't handle my feelings. Right. And I need to escape them. And that was my solution until it totally backfired. So until, it, until it wasn't working. My, yeah, my journey is how do I handle these intense feelings? Right. And I don't think an alcoholic or addict's feelings are any different um, than, than a normal person's. They're just more intense. And a lot of us have, have had serious trauma Yeah. that we need to That escape. you were working out. And that yeah. was your, the case with you. Yeah. 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 What types of things did you Oh, just, um, like, I have a very mentally ill dad. And, yeah. and so, um, yeah, and I've been doing EMDR in the last year. I've that done is. that. Yeah, but I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like I, it's, it's did you do benefited the, me that did much. Did you do the light kind in your eyes or the holding the things? The holding the things. How many times did you go? I've done it, my, my therapist used it periodically, so multiple times. Yeah. You, it's a kind of stimulation while you're... Talking. processing yeah. that is meant to sort of shake things up a little bit or yeah yeah and you process had, the memories yes and you had that and it's been really effective for you really effective i felt like i wanted to pretend that it was more effective than it that's was that's what i worry about like i was trying to perform i know and i worry and i say this to my therapist like all the time first of all i worry i'm doing it wrong when right. i'm reporting you know because they ask you you know yeah. questions as it's happening and then i yeah and then I worry that it's like, I don't know, haven't you had things that you were so into and you're telling the world and you think it's the end all be all solution and then you realize later that it was like a crock? Like, I'm like, is that what it, this is? Yeah. But I don't think so. I've had, I, I, I've had um, my feelings about things in my life change so dramatically and my reactions to things change so dramatically that right. it can't just be you know random yeah, yeah. But it's scientifically proven it's the most yeah. no i think it I, yeah yeah i think pe- a lot of people uh experience that um i just when i did it i didn't feel like it was uh bringing up anything differently than when i would normally right. talk or process um are there things that you came to believe through your journey or something that philosophies that you sort of carry with you my journey of recovery yeah oh yeah like sort of like things that you live by like why what kinds of things um i mean i think 
there are things I live by and then there are things I aspire to live by. That's awesome. I aspire to live by this David Hawkins quote. He was like this great spiritual leader and, and psychiatrist, which is an amazing combination. And he only died a few years ago. And he says, we get what we want when we stop insisting on it. So that idea that that um, that you cannot will things into happening, but that you will you will have everything you need if you stop trying to force it. You know, I firmly believe the universe doesn't know the difference between a desire. You know, if we desire something, we have anxiety about it. Right. And I believe through that we push away the things we want. Interesting. Um, well, certainly anxiety is not productive. Anxiety is sure. not productive, but I believe in all that energy stuff. And right. I believe that it's only when we sort of get into acceptance. You know, I could only get sober when I accepted that I was addicted to drugs. I was insane. And that the way I had tried to manage my life was not working. And once I accepted that, I was willing to be open to another to other way. things. Yeah. Was the spiritual component of recovery... Uh, something that you kind of came to naturally or did you did you push up against it because I know a lot of people yeah. are like this higher power stuff I can't get behind it yeah I luckily uh never never had any bad ideas about that like yeah. believed in a god yeah didn't believe much but right. had no aversion to it yeah you weren't like an a- hardcore atheist yeah. no and yeah. so I was like well, this seems pretty creepy, but I'll do it. Yeah. And then I had a profound experience, which yeah. is that my desire to do drugs and drink evaporated. And it was all I had thought about. And if that's not a spiritual experience, then I don't know what is. Exactly. That happened. That happened the first time when you went to rehab in that process. Sort of. I, I, I did not believe I was uh, that alcoholism and addiction were the same thing. So right. I tested that theory on November 18th of 2000 and ended up drinking two bottles of wine and, four and taking four and a half hits of ecstasy. And on November 19th said, oh, I get it. They're the same thing. So so you this was after you'd gone to, to yeah, rehab for cocaine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, part, that's part of the deal. Yeah. And that was 18 years ago. Yeah. So. Good for you. Good. What movies or TV shows do you feel like get that world right? Very few. Party yeah. Girl, the movie, will. But um, exactly. But um, um, I mean, I thought Requiem for a Dream, yeah. did a great job. Um, Permanent Midnight was is an amazing book, but I wasn't crazy for the movie. Have you seen Beautiful Boy? No, but you know, I, I have love a, it. I have a long history. Nick Chef and I used to do speaking together. The the writer, yeah, yeah the yeah, writer. Yeah. It's based on. Yeah, I, I I didn't think I would love it. I love David. I love his dad. Yeah, he's a great guy. I'm in his book, Clean. Um, right, but but yeah, I didn't need to see that. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I was. I think it. I, I went to a screening and there was a Q and A, and I think the idea was like this one gets it right. This one, you know, they're two experts, both books, and they're going to come at it. And and there were things about it that I liked, but it just, they all kind of start to seem the same. I think it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard to depict that world and not, okay, it's the folding chairs. It's, you know, it's hard for it to feel different, I think. I it's, think that's a built-in challenge to that. And you're, that's so true, because the bizarre thing about, addiction and recovery is that unless you've been through it you cannot understand it and that is the fr- it's true like no right. matter how much I, I i can how vividly i can describe the chairs and the meeting right and the profound spiritual experience it's just one of it's like in the same way i cannot understand what it's like to be gay there's just no way i right. can understand that and so it's not that great it's okay <laughs> it's overrated no it's all right but i but so communicating that even if it's communicated by people who fully understand that in art form, it's really hard. Yeah. I know there are, I know there are ways um, to do it, but I can't, I actually can't think of any movies or TV yeah. shows that do. One thing I find interesting about depicting that world is there's a sort of currency of crazy stories. Like you think you were bad. Right. And, 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 it's like, oh, they've got the best stories. Like, it almost is kind of like... Competitive. Competitive in how bad it got. But that gives you cachet. A thousand percent. But also in terms of telling stories and and, um, being an interesting person after you've cleaned up. 
In other words, totally. Let's get somebody who was really fucked up. You know, like and you haven't even been in meetings, and you know that, right? Yeah. Well, I had an experience with rehab. You told me this once before dance yeah. class. What was that? I was trying to remember. Yeah. This what happened was I've been really going through a difficult time where my nervous system was all messed up, uh, and I'd, having to do with anxiety and trauma and work and money and uh, and things like that. And I started taking. Um, clonopin yeah to because I had taken it once before when I was going through a period of unemployment and it actually helped me and I did it a little bit and I got and I got off and it was all good it, it, it worked the way it's supposed to work right this time I, I got on it for a little while and uh, like after about a month and a half I'm like I think I'm I've got this I think I can come off of this and I couldn't come off it there was something that it, I would have these like zaps in my brain right and it was so terrifying and unsettling and, and by that point, I was so, um, it had been the end of a long period of unwellness where I was like, I need help. I need help. How can I get help to get, I can't deal with this on my own. And I, and I don't want to keep taking it. And yet I can't come off it. And so when I went, and so when I went to the doctors, what you do is you go, that's drug rehab. Where'd you go? Um, Glendale, uh, Gads, Glendale Adventist. Okay. Yeah. In Glendale. They were great. Yeah. But it wasn't, I never drank. I never did drugs. You didn't relate to the groups. No, but I, but I did enough. I know what it's like to feel like your life fell apart. And I know like, so. Were they like, you need to accept the fact that you're an addict and you were like, nah. No, I didn't push up against it. I did all the exercises. I did all the homework and the essays. Um, I was like, I'm here. And in order for my insurance to cover what helped me get, be able to come off that drug, I need to do this. Did they detox you in a hospital? Yeah. But I needed it, and I needed that place to fall apart. Yeah. Um, but it was like I was taking a tiny, like a core. core it was crazy. But it, but it, but the idea that I could not get off it without like these incredibly intense um, zaps in my brain. So you were taking it as prescribed. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah, and I think it's not uncommon with benzodiazepines. I think some people have, um, you know different reactions it's not it's not it's it they can be dangerous i think and i was one of those cases in this situation but but i did get to experience that world from inside yeah um it was interesting yeah yeah it is it is yeah it's interesting i have a lot of respect for alcoholics anonymous and the 12-step program i i think because i they're there it exists to help people quit there's no institutional uh, bureaucracy or power people. It's all about helping people. There's not like, well, the board of this says that, you know, it's so, not organized I mean, that way. It's, it's truly a miracle. It makes no sense that this thing can run by people who are the least trustworthy members of society, right? Like drug addicts and thieves. And that we all sit down and we have a timer and we read the literature and that it happens and we all show up. I mean, it's, Insane. And people collect money for rent. Yeah. And there are terrible stories of people running off with the rent. And um, and, and there is definitely politics and bureaucracy because right. you're getting a group of insane people together. Right. But no, it makes sense. But it's no not sense. the whole institution. It's not. It's no. more within each sort exactly. of thing, the politics and stuff. Oh, yeah. And I really admire that. I, I, Me I, too. And uh, I have a lot of vivid memories from that time. And I tried to just apply everything to... to things that I related to and, right. and were going through and, and stuff like that. That's but funny. yeah, so I had to go there for three or four times a week for a couple months. Right. Good for you. you. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. And at the time, it felt like a long time. And this is always going to be a defining, this feels so defining about my life. And it and wasn't. Then, and I was like, oh, that was a couple of years ago. And I had that summer where that happened. I, I mean, I don't hear stories like yours very often. Yeah. So, um, that was so weird. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. So I remember you telling me that at dance yeah. class and I was like, what? Yeah. It's so random. Yeah. But I did all the essays and all the writing and, and I actually, I feel like I was kind of the teacher's pet a little bit. I bet. In terms of being able to offer supportive things to other people or to ask them interesting questions or like in the way that I was able to engage with the other people. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. I because felt like most people in that situation are 
very far down the drain. Yeah. And you weren't. No. You were functioning. I was functioning. Yeah. That's but, unusual. But kind of still, my nervousness was still kind of a mess. And even coming out of that, it was for a while afterward. But I had this right. little rehab detour. But, you know, the stories people would tell and... and yeah. And I guess the thing is, you don't want to... If you depict a crazy story because it's interesting and cinematic or whatever, you don't want to sort of... Glorify it. Glorify it. And that's sort of... It's... That's it's sort of a rub. I'm not, like... I'm not, like, adamant about any position on this. I just do think that's an interesting thing about works related to that world. You're not wrong. It's a very bizarre thing because it's kind of like anything hyperbolic. Like you don't really notice it as as you're a part of it or witnessing yeah. it. I remember a friend said to me, you know, like there are all these expressions in 12 step that, you know, you hear people say and like people will always go, yeah, I was always driving drunk and waking up next to people I didn't know. And I remember my friend saying to me, actually woken up next to someone I don't know. Like, yeah, I've had one night stands I've regretted, but that's like a really big thing. And right. like, it's sort of, because there are these things that people start to say and it's like, you kind of assume that everyone's exaggerating, even yourself. Right. That, that, that becomes part of the storytelling. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think there is competitiveness about how crazy your story is. Right. And um, it's interesting in my meeting yesterday, we, somebody walked in. I actually had started the meeting. So, I mean, years ago. So somebody walks in and they go. You had, you had organized the yes, meeting. Yes. Yeah. I found okay. the location. I got right. people to go. And and this, this regular at the meeting walks in and says, oh, hey, I brought this professional. I have, it's cool. She stays kind of a thing. And the person was already there. And so they turned to me because I started the meeting and there's open or, or closed meetings. And they were like, you want this? Is this an open meeting or closed meeting? I was like, it's open. So there was this person sitting there observing. Who's a professional? What do they yeah. mean by that? Well, she was. She said she was like I. I, I don't know. She was like in in school. Or oh, something. like studying to be a counselor or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And um and it was funny because one of the regulars talks about how she um she I mean she has a very low bottom and she's super open about it. In fact, she recently published a book about it. But she's like talking about how she tried to kill her husband and then she like turns to him and she's like most people don't share like this, you right? Know? Um. Yeah. Interesting. What is unique about cocaine addicts? I think what's unique about cocaine addicts is very surprising. It's usually very high energy, amped up people where, you know, people will say to them once they're sober, I can't believe you did coke. You're, it's already like you're on coke. Yeah. And, um, and I think that it, that speedy stuff, uh, tends to, to biochemically calm down a speedy person. Right. Um, so somehow, is counterintuitive in a way. It's works. completely counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, so, whereas I think, like, we tend to be these sort of hyper-achieving, um, ambitious people, whereas the junkies tend not to be. Right. Like, you want to succeed in the world, in business, in, in, in showbiz, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, you want to be in there kicking ass. Yeah, and I think opiates people are different it's such a ridiculous overgeneralization but, but it, yeah in a general way yeah yeah do you remember the first time you did cocaine oh yeah where was it i was in high school and um and you know what's interesting the very first time i may not remember but i remember the second and third times yeah i was it was i was in a limo um, which is one of your questions. Yes. Um, but, uh, and it was my junior year prom and I remember doing it. And right when I did it, somebody talked about Len Bias dying. There was a basket, he was a basketball player okay. who died the first time he did cocaine, which is highly unusual. Right. Lot, we're having a huge drug crisis right now with opiates in, right. in the country, but it, those kill you. And alcohol kills you far more often than cocaine. Anyway, he had a heart attack and died and somebody mentioned that. And so I ended up having this like horrible trip even though you don't have a trip on cocaine right um and then i remember the third time i did it was um visiting brown as a high school student brown university yes and what i remember is going into the men's room like because somebody had coke and you know somebody on our high school trip and doing it and i remember this the reason i remember it is this guy uh, a kid named chris looking at me and just he was so shocked and there was something about Wow, that's how I should be reacting to the idea of a 15-year-old or 16-year-old doing yeah. cocaine. How come 
he's reacting like that this like innocent sweet what the yeah. fuck reaction right i'm doing it you're in the mix yeah so you, you you've done it for the first times in high school mm-hmm. wow where'd you grow up Marin county oh wow North. yeah yeah yeah. There was a book called Serial by Sarah McFadden. Oh, yes. Yeah, that I remember reading in high school and being really in. It was a movie. But it was set in Marin County and all the trendy New Age oh, yeah. sort of, you know, Birkenstocks and that whole era. It, in fact, Serial ran in the, um, I, I think it was the Marin IJ. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a serial, serialized column in the paper that yeah. she got a book deal for. And I was a big fan of that in high school. Like, that's so weird to me now that I would appreciate the sort of comedy of mannersness of that world it as is a high so school funny. kid. Where I guess did I was, you grow up? Uh, Holbrook, Here. Arizona. Oh, that's yeah. so random. A little town. I know. I was into it. I think I did a cutting for it in speech and drama. It's so weird. It's a cutting. A cutting, like you do a, a segment of it, like an excerpt that you perform as a as a oral interpretation. How do you even? find it it's not like it was a huge hit i remember that the, there was a paperback book i, I remember wasn't it kind of large size i think they did an oversized thing but i just yes. had like the airport paperback i think but i remember if something was also a movie it tended to kind of capture my attention a little bit but yeah, yeah I, I was into that so speaking of movies party girls um having a renewed burst of a, uh, a renaissance of a renaissance sorts. yeah yes yeah, so the rights did sell back when it came out and then the rights reverted back to me and then just recently they were acquired by this uh guy who produces martin scorsese movies there you go yeah i love it so right now he's um he's talking at netflix and in places and we'll see i love that do you have a dream casting for it it must change over the years as the years go by ironically the very first person we ever wanted Mm. is now being discussed again interesting but for different reasons like back then because she was like the starlet of the moment and now because it would be the ultimate comeback interesting (laughs) um you don't need to say it's Lindsay lohan oh there you go so so um that would be the ultimate comeback my um if she wants it my desire is to have whoever would have it made yeah so i don't care yeah it would be fun to see lilo i want i'm rooting for her a little bit me too but i don't feel like she cares that much about like we care more about her than she does (laughs) exactly she's in ibiza i'm not sure where she is doing her thing yeah all right you pick some questions from the observation deck Mm -hmm. what was your lowest point professionally oh ironically it wasn't working for tom sizemore yeah it was um the last year or it was yeah last year i took a job as editor-in-chief of a recovery magazine this is what i was asking about i remember that yeah and then um slowly learned that the owner was in prison yeah so i was taking orders from uh, someone in prison i had to email a prison but they knew it was illegal so they would act like He's like, these are merely suggestions. But then I would get on the phone with his lackey and lackey would be like, these aren't suggestions. You have to do it. And his jailmate, this guy named Larry, um, emailed me also from prison and said, I'd like you to write the introduction to my book and get me an agent for this book. So this like man in prison, the friend of the owner. And I said no. And they fired me. Because you weren't willing to do the work for the yeah, but the ins- but they called me a plagiarist. It was the most insane thing. They could, they said my writers were plagiarists. They were the same writers I've been using for like ten years. Yeah. Anyway, that was a low point. That was a low point. Yeah. All right. What movie did you see when you were way too young to see it? Oh, my parents had a habit of taking us to movies that we shouldn't see. I saw Serial. Right. I remember that. Yeah. They took me to see Animal House. Oh, Jaws. When I was um, five, I wouldn't swim in the ocean until. I mean, I still, I will only swim in the ocean if someone's with me. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't swim in pools. Um, I was scared of the bathtub. Of course. Yeah. Oh. Five years old. Okay. Where's the strangest place you've ever been recognized? Um, okay. So I used to be on a television show called Attack of the Show. Oh, yeah. Did you know yeah, that yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and it, it was on E, right? It was E G- ended up yes. acquired yeah, at, yeah, yeah. at G4. Which G4, was yeah. And, um, and it had a rabid following online, but no one in my real life ever knew yeah. about it. So one time I was sitting at Swingers, and I had just gotten a new Mac, and I remember this guy walked by me, and he goes, G4? And I thought I was being wrecked, and I was like, so, it never happened, and I was right. like, yes! Oh my god, and he sits down, and I guess the computer was called a G4 computer, yeah. and he points at the computer and goes, G4 computer, and I realized he's a total, totally insane person who's yeah. obsessed with computers. Right. And I had just 
greeted him like he's my best friend. Right. And so I had to just be like, um, yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah. That was great. So you didn't actually get recognized for what you liked. Your computer did. Yeah. Have you ever stolen anything? Yeah, I was a big shoplifter as a kid, and my best moment was I would go to Palm Springs. (laughs) My best moment, yeah. This is great. Yeah. Went to Palm Springs with my friend, and she came up with this scheme. We were visiting my grandmother that we would put sunglasses on and then say to my grandmother, Granny, will you hold these and have her put them in her purse so we would have my grandmother steal so you, she, you would pretend that you were they were your own, yeah, and just have your grandmother. That's really smart. I know. That's good. I know. That's smart. I made amends. My grandmother was dead. Yeah. I donated money in her name. When it came time to do amends, how long is your list? Pretty long. My resentment list was much longer because right. you make your amends list from your resentment list. Right. Ironically, the people you resent, yeah, are usually the people you owe an apology to. Yeah. Um, mine was long. Um, it was really freeing. Was I think I once got an email from somebody that I was on their amends list. Yeah. And I was a little surprised because we dated a little bit and he wasn't, he was kind of flaky and like, I got hurt a little bit by it, but it wasn't like earth shattering, but it meant something when he acknowledged that. That's good. Because you think it's you, it's the way you're being or, and, and to know like he was dealing with this other thing on the side. Oh, you can let yourself off the hook a little bit about how it played out or whatever so yeah that's interesting I, my deeply meaningful one was the the boyfriend that i had moved to la for yeah um, and I, it was such a big deal for me to call him and he it took years it was really free were you on the phone a long time no no yeah but, and i remember him saying you know I, I have so much to apologize for like we were kids we didn't know anything right so um uh, but yeah i had some deeply profound experiences Great. Yeah. When was a time in your life when you were in the right place at the right time? I think selling Party Girl. Yeah. Um, I had been writing that sex column for that I was telling you about for magazines. Yeah. For a magazine, and I got I was writing a novel, and um, oh, there was this total dickhead. Basically, um, do you remember Todd Gold? Yeah, he was an editor. At People. Yeah. He hooked me up. He was my boss. He hooked me up with his agent. And I remember this agent was like really sort of a scumbag. And I remember um, him, but he would take me to like coffee or drinks or whatever Yeah. Um, while I was writing the, the Party Girl. And then I finished it and I emailed him maybe in August. And I You said, wrote it on spec. I wrote it on spec. Yeah. And I said, I finished my novel. Can I send it to you? And he said, yeah. Um, if you, if I don't get to it by the end of the year, I'll get to it early next year. It was like August. And I, I was, I didn't know how this worked. And I emailed him and said, well, can I submit it to somebody else too? And he said, I would never take a submission that went to somebody else. And so here I thought this guy would be my agent. So within like a week, I get an email from this guy who said, I read a magazine story of yours. If you ever want an agent, um, I'm available. And I said, I do. I just finished my novel. He flies to L.A. I lived on Sweetser, and I remember we, we were meeting at Joey's, you know, that place right yeah. on the corner. I get an email an hour before I'm going to meet with him, and it was Pilar Demand was her name. And she said, I just, I've been reading your sex column all morning. I've been laughing out loud. If you ever have a book, let me know. And I go, not only do I have a book, I'm going to sign with an agent literally right now. And she, I remember she said, call me right now. Is she an agent as well, Pilar? Yeah. Okay. And I called her, and she said, look. Do not sign. I know you're going to sign papers. Do not. Let me read your book today. And if I don't like it, you got no problem. If if I do, give me a shot. And so I went to go and I said, I know we're supposed to sign. I know you flew out here. I can't. I am so sorry. And she ended up loving it and selling it the next week. Pilar. Yeah. Has she been your agent? No, she's not anymore. She was the one who was Andrew Ross Arkin. Now they're married. I ended up leaving and going to WME because I'm an asshole, and then I hated that. And now, ironically, I'm back at that agency. She's not there anymore, but her mentor, who I met then, is now my agent. There you go. It worked out. Yeah. Right place, right time. Yeah. So so that was really dreamy, the way. But, but, to, but to get that kind of attention from agents, 
was crazy. I mean, I can't imagine. Later, it. I like. I, I mean, I've I never died. had a good luck in that world at all. But my luck radically changed right. because it was acquired by Judith Regan, who was yeah. the biggest publisher yeah. to ever hit publishing, and then was fired in the biggest scandal to ever hit publishing, like a few months before my book was out. Oh, so, fuck. so you were in the middle of that storm. Yeah, the storm, and it, you know, people talk about their books getting orphaned when an when a publisher leaves. Yeah. My book was orphaned and the orphanage burned to the ground. So <laughs> there was nothing there. And that's so why when the, it came out, was there anything? No. Like no promotion? Or... There was because I worked in media. Yeah. So I got it on the Today Show you and hustled all that it. stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. there was no one there. And then the book, you know, didn't perform the way that yeah. any of us had hoped. Yeah. So. But you keep going. Yeah. You keep going. Um, how can people learn more about what you do? Um, they, I have 60,000 websites. websites. I know. I think lighthustler.com is probably yeah. the best hub for everything. Um, but I also answer, answer every email I ever get. So That's people great. can just email me at Anna at AnnaDavid.com. There you go. If they, want, if they want more information about the writing program. Yeah, your writing program sound amazing. To do the book, if they're interested in having books published and written, we're, you know, like I said, we're doing Dr. Drew's book. Yeah, you're working with people um, to make their books happen. Yeah, Light Hustler Publishing. There you go. You got it all going on. Yep. Um, why do you write? I write because I'm obsessed with Two things. I'm obsessed with words and I'm obsessed with psychology. I'm obsessed with why people do what they do. And writing and ironically, marketing encompass both of them. I find marketing as creative, if not more, than writing. Because you're trying to figure out what will make people go after what they want. That's yeah. fascinating. That's really cool. Yeah. It's a good way to why look at it. Why do you write? It helps me figure out what I believe. Yeah. Helps me figure out what I think is true. Mm. Because I think that when you write, you kind of have to go over it again, and you kind of, you, but by the time you sort of put it out there, you feel like you can stand behind it in a way that this is what I believe about the world. I think it helps me figure out what I believe about that's the world. That's so interesting. I've never thought about it like that. I think that's, that's... I think about it as it helps me process. Yeah. But then when you come out with it on the other side... You've got to stand behind it. You've got to stand behind it. That's why I think, I'm trying to figure out the upside of Twitter everyone's losing jobs over Twitter. Like, right. what's the, where, what's, what's worth it? Like, you know, I don't know. Just every time somebody else's career implodes because of stuff they popped off about on Twitter. I know. I, just I know. I think it appeals to this. Um, I don't know. I do, I do know that I, we're all one tweet away from having our lives destroyed, even if we're not hosting. Yeah. Masters, you know? Yeah. So why, you know, I don't, you've never done it. I'm not into Twitter. I've always been pretty into it. I'm not I'm not, not as much anymore. But I, I don't. I, I'm not into it. I was so into it so early that I was part of the wiki entry about Twitter. It was wow. like early adopters include Ryder cool. Anna David and there you go. <laughs> Neil Gaiman was one of them. Too. You, you guys are together. There We're you so go. Together. All right. Well, you got to get to dance class, and we have to take a what photo. Time is it? It's uh, eleven fifteen, but they start a little late. Um. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wait. It's eleven forty. It doesn't start till eleven forty-five. This is perfect. Oh, okay, perfect. I thought it started eleven thirty. Um, but by the time everything, yeah, you're yeah. so cute that you actually show up at eleven thirty to yeah. sit around and. I, well, there's all the hugging and the. Oh yeah, I show up at eleven forty-seven, and, and and you're there for the warm up. All right, yeah. thank you, Anna David. Oh, yeah, this was so go, fun. Go listen to her audio book and check out all her other stuff. Party She's girl awesome. Audio. Yay! Bye. Thanks again to Anna David. Check out her new audio book, Party Girl. All right, so this happened. As I mentioned earlier, the games came in. So we planned to deliver a bunch of them in person because we weren't sure when they were going to come in in terms of Christmas. So it was like, if we plan on delivering the LA ones in person, at least we know we'll be able to do that. So the games came in on Tuesday. So for the rest of the week, I had little routes all over the city where I took games to. And now I kind of know what it's like to be a delivery person. Um, a lot of addresses that you can't quite make out from the curb. Um, a lot, lots of parking in the wrong place and then walking too far and wish you would park somewhere else. Um, but I wore a little Santa hat and I met a lot of the people that ordered the game while I was delivering. And it was really fun. It felt like kind of like a Santa Claus moment because Jeb had gotten on a plane and flown east to see his family on the day the games came in. So we had all day to get him in the mail and everything. And he delivered some before he left. They were on the red eye. And then he was out. So... The games came in the nick of time is the point, and it all worked out. So that was very exciting. And then over the holiday, 
we would get like texts and, and emails and see posts from people that had been playing it and having a good time. And that was super, super thrilling. So I decided um, since the games were taken care of, I would come to Arizona and see family for the first time in like a couple of years, probably. So here I am in my sister's place in the bedroom I always stay in. And then I'm heading into the, to the train to go back to LA in a few minutes. But um, while I was here, I just basically ate everything smothered in green chili that I could get. I couldn't believe how much I was craving it. It's very much a Southwest Mexican food kind of thing. Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. And you don't really see it out in California, the green chili thing. And I love it so much. I just couldn't stop eating it. So I had breakfast with green chili. I had lunch with green chili. I had cheese crisps. I had enchiladas. I had burros. I had uh, breakfast burritos. Just you name it. And so it was super fun. Um, I played the game with some of the kids and, and that was fun. I went and saw Aquaman at our movie theater, The Roxy. Boy, those superhero movies. Man, I wish I cared. But you know what? It was fun to go to the theater in my hometown and check it out. Um, the other cool thing that happened in the last week or so, the podcast that I write for, Imagine Life, there's a website called Quartz. Quartzy? It's Quartzy. It's like Q-U-A-R-T-Z-Y. And they did a rundown of the best podcasts of 2018. And Imagine Life was cited twice. First for best new podcast and uh, best podcast about the human condition. And they wrote a nice little write-up about the podcast, and they mentioned two of the episodes in particular, and one was one that I wrote, The Daydreamer, and one was that my friend uh, Michael Seldich wrote called The Advocate. So it was really cool to make a list of something uh, as, a, as a best of the year. So that was cool. Uh, so rounding out the year with um, some fun stuff. And very grateful that those games showed up, man. Wow. Um, but that was fun. So here's to a bright and shiny new year. Have a great new year's Eve, new year's day, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis. Anyone. Bye. <laughs>